0: You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans, you're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can also tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked on Mets. Well, Jacob DeGrom finally got some run support, picking up his first victory of the season on Monday. I'm going to talk about that game in the first half of the show. Then later on in the second half, I want to talk about some injuries that showed up during that game as both Robinson Cano and Ahmed Rosaria left with injuries, and Jeff McNeil never even played. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Before we get into any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, check me out on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsMorizedOnline.com. So Monday's game was Mike Soroka versus Jacob DeGrom Part 3. The Braves and the Mets have played each other a lot this season, and DeGrom has yet to face another team. He handled them well, but most importantly, he got some run support for the first time. And it started in the third inning. Ahmed Rosario got a leadoff hit, ended up taking third base after Marcelo Zuna bobbled the ball. Rosario was on his horse the whole time and was able to get two extra bases on the error. Brandon Nimmo drew a walk to put runners at the corners for Michael Conforto. Conforto got a base knock, which scored Rosario. And part of a good game for Conforto as he went three for five scored two runs, and had that RBI. Pete Alonso ended up making it a bases-loaded situation for Robinson Cano as Alonso drew the first of what would be three walks of the game for him. Cano comes up red hot with the bases loaded, gets a clutch hit, which scores both Nemo and Conforto, and the Mets were in business. Now there was a really unfortunate play that happened in that third inning. It was one of those injuries that is just so hard to watch. Basically, J.D. Davis hit a would-be double play ball up the middle. Mike Soroka, the ace of the brace, is going to cover for a space. And as he's making that motion, you see his, his back leg, his right leg, hit the ground and his heel kind of touches the mound. And the way it happens awkwardly, you just notice him go down right away. and You don't really know what happened. At first, we thought maybe he rolled his ankle. But then, as you watch the replay, if you look closely at his leg by his sock, you can see a ripple, which, unfortunately, was his Achilles as he ruptured his Achilles. It was one of those really gruesome injuries that I don't think you're going to forget if you've watched it. I know it's a Braves pitcher, but someone with so much promise, you don't want to see a guy like that go down, particularly in that way. And really, it's the biggest headline of this game even though it comes from the Braves' side. So Soroka's done for the year with a ruptured Achilles, and you know that really is the biggest injury in a game that was full of them as the Mets started to drop like flies after that inning. Now, they did score another run in the third inning. Wilson Ramos came up with the bases loaded and got a hit. Ended up being a four-run inning for the Mets. Jacob DeGrom has a ton of support. In the fourth inning, Robinson Cano gets another RBI hit. Then later on in that same inning, J.D. Davis hit a hard hit ball to Dansby Swanson. Swanson can't field it cleanly. Trickles out into the outfield. Cano tries to score from second. Swanson guns him out at the plate. And later on after that, Cano exits the game with a groin injury. Right now they're calling it just groin soreness. We will see what progresses from there. But Cano has been red hot. So losing him would be big for the Mets at this point. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But that would be a devastating blow to the Mets right now. DeGrom's run support did not stop there, though. In the fifth inning, Wilson Ramos, who had a big game himself going 2-for-4 with three RBIs, hits a home run, a two-run shot, and suddenly, in what must feel like twilight zone for DeGrom, he has a 7-0 lead. So it was great to see. I don't think Mets fans could rest until the final out. But you look at this game and Jacob DeGrom gets the support he deserves. Ends up picking up his first win of the season. And of course he pitched great. He did give up two in the bottom of the fifth, including giving up a solo home run to Travis Darno, who had just an insane series against his former team. But DeGrom was firing on all cylinders. He had 10 strikeouts in six innings pitch. Got his pitch count up to about a normal level for the first time this year. So hopefully moving forward. He can really get into the hundreds and pitch deep into games. Another interesting thing from DeGrom this start is he had been shying away from really throwing that curveball all all year up to this point. And then he just dusted it off. I faced this lineup a couple times. I'm going to throw the curveball. And it was nasty. So DeGrom, still the best pitcher on the planet. Not much else you can say about that. Go over to the Mets bullpen. They pitched well. Jarese Familia comes in in the seventh. And... I know everyone was nervous, and maybe they'll say he didn't pitch great, but looking at his stuff, it wasn't bad. He got two strikeouts, bookending his appearance. He struck out Dansby Swanson to start things off, gives up a base hit to Johan Camargo. Then Ender Inciarte has a, a blue pit, I mean, not hard contact at all, went into right field. Conforto can't make the play, it ends up being a double for Inciarte, but it wasn't struck well. I don't really blame Familia on that one. There was runners at second and third. A tough hitter comes up, in Acuna. Familia is pitching around him, throws four straight balls, and walks him to load the bases. Then he struck out Ozzie Albies. So as much as you can say, you know, it was a rough, you know, rough outing, and he didn't get out of the inning. It, it really wasn't that bad. He gave up a, a strong hit single by Camargo, a bloop double. He walked the batter. But he might have been able to get out of that himself. If not for everything going on with the Mets right now, they weren't going to risk it. And they had the lefty Freddie Freeman coming up, and Justin Wilson was ready. He came in, got a big ground out, and the Mets got out of that jam unscathed. So the pitching was good. Jared Hughes makes his Mets debut, closes out the game with two innings. I want to kind of get a little bit more in depth on Jared Hughes, so I'm going to save that. For after the break here. And we'll also talk about some of the injuries the Mets had in this game. As I've already mentioned. uh, Rosario, Cano both went down. McNeil never played. I'll get into all that. What the Mets will do. If those guys actually do miss some significant amount of time. Now during these unfortunate times. Where some of us are still all holed up in our house. It is great to support local businesses. And Postmates does just that being a personal delivery service for your food, your groceries, whatever kind of delivery you need all year round. They're the largest on-demand network in the U.S. and offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery and convenience stores, and traditional retailers you could possibly want or need. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, Postmates will bring you what you need within the hour. No more trips to the store. Postmates will deliver anything to you. Download the app for iOS or Android for free and then begin to browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery in real time. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first 7 days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKED ON. That's code LOCKED ON for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first 7 days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Post made it. Right before the Mets went into their summer camp, they made a surprising signing of adding Jared Hughes to their active roster. It wasn't that surprising that they signed him, And brought him into the player pool. But bringing him in as a major league contract was a little bit of a shock. When most of the guys that were coming in to all these different teams were signed to minor league deals. But the Mets believed in this guy and he has a track record. And so far so good as he pitched really well on Monday night. He has not been on the roster up to this point because he did have the coronavirus. And was sidelined for a couple weeks there. Never really got to join the team during the summer camp. Had to start working after the season had started at the alternate site in Brooklyn. And now we finally got to see him pitch. And for a Mets reliever to come in and give you two innings without giving up any runs, it's a huge victory for the team this year and even dating back to last year. So people are going to like what they saw in this first appearance. He did walk a pair, um, but overall, this is a guy that leans on his movement and his deception in his delivery, he kind of hides the ball behind his back leg before he gets to his release point. It is clearly a veteran pitcher with a lot of guile. He has a breaking ball that I think Gary Cohen was calling a slider. StatCast calls it a curveball. Regardless, it's got a ton of movement. Comes in at 81. It's a big contradiction to his sinker that comes in at 91-92. Also features a changeup. And in one instance, he threw a four-seam fastball, I believe, because it came in pretty straight when he was behind an account, to Ronald Acuna Jr. Threw one kind of you know mid-level outside, but it surprised him, and he got it past him. So here's a guy who knows how to pitch, got a big double play at one point. All of his outs either came via the strikeout or off the ground. I like what I saw in his first outing. You can't draw too much from it, but we've seen other Metro relievers struggle this year. If this guy can step up and get some big outs for the Mets, that will be huge, especially with Edwin Diaz in free-fall mode. And even when I said Familia stuff has looked good, it's still Jarese Familia coming off a really bad year, and he hasn't been lights out by any means. So Hughes could prove to be a really nice pickup. Let's move over and talk about the injuries. Prior to the game, Jeff McNeil gets scratched from the lineup as he had back tightness and batting practice. I'm not overly concerned about that, because we see other guys have a tight back and the next day it's maybe loosened up and they're good to go. So I don't know if that's the injury that really concerns me. Rosario with the quad and Cano with the groin, to me, seem a little bit more troublesome. Because you're talking about muscles that you know really affect your ability to explode. Particularly for a guy with Rosario with his speed that he really relies on. Cano, he's older. Last year we saw some of these nagging injuries not always pull him out of the lineup, but definitely affect his performance. And when he's healthy, we've actually seen Cano hit really well this year. And, I mean, he's been this team's best hitter this season. There's no question about it. He's been making me look good because in Mets Marais, we did a roundtable discussion where we all picked who we thought was going to exceed expectations this year. I picked Cano based on his 2019 second half where he hit really well and the fact that expectations for him were kind of low. So I thought he'd come in and be a big run producer and have a solid year, and he has been red hot. He started the year 1-for-12. He's gone 13 for his last 22. That's a 590 average. Overall, he leads the team in batting average at 412, on base percentage at 462, slung percentage at 559, and OPS at 1,020. He also has the team lead in RBIs, after picking up 3 on Monday. So he now has 7 on the season. And losing that bat is going to be very tough for the Mets. So hopefully he got pulled due to some caution. The Mets had a big league when he came out. So maybe that is why we saw Cano leave the game. But if that injury lingers it's going to be tough for the Mets. Because he has been producing. Rosario hasn't had the best season so far. I mean, he's hitting 244. He only has 2 extra base hits. But he has hit safely in seven of the Mets' 10 games. He's scored five runs. And with him as your everyday shortstop, it allows Jimenez to be flexible and play some third and play some second. So they have a good replacement in Andres Jimenez to replace one of those two guys. But if both of them are down, I think the Mets are in trouble. Now, if you look at the active roster, it's Andres Jimenez, Brian Dozier, and Luis Guillorme as your backup infielders. So we could see all of them get time, particularly Dozier and Jimenez. I could see Dozier starting in place of Cano, and Jimenez starting in place of Rosario. If McNeil's out, though, that's where things get a little bit tricky, right? Because if McNeil is out of the lineup with the other two, J.D. Davis probably has to slide to third. Maybe Dom goes to left and then you have Jimenez playing short, maybe Dozier at second. Who is going to be your DH in that situation? I think at that point, maybe you start to play for a little more defense, whether that is you know, putting Wilson Ramos as the DH and putting in Tomas Nito as your catcher. Maybe that means starting Cordell in center field, or if they want to call up a Billy Hamilton, or a Juan Ligaris, or Jake Marisnik comes back, whatever it is to play a defensive first center fielder, slide Nemo over to left. They have a lot of different options they can go with, but those are three players in McNeil, Cano, and Rosario the Mets just cannot afford to lose. And as much as I said yesterday that losing Cespedes wasn't the biggest deal as far as just roster and lineup construction, as Dominic Smith might be better when it comes to the at-bats that Cespedes was taking it did affect the Mets' depth and their ability to have dangerous hitters in the lineup. And with Cespedes gone and all these injuries popping up, suddenly you really wish you had that bat back. And I do want to touch on Cespedes because it's been an ongoing story. Brandon Nimmo was quoted on Monday basically casting some doubt into the Mets' story about Cespedes and what unfolded in his opt-out, saying that you know the team was made aware prior to the game on Sunday, which is a huge revelation if true, because that means that Brody Van Wagenen was caught with his hand in the cookie jar, trying to control the narrative through the media by releasing these statements and essentially dragging Cespedes through the mud to get whatever net result out of it, to get the fans against Cespedes, to get the media against Cespedes and to maybe, if you're a conspiracy theorist, cover up some wrongdoing on the Mets side, whether that was some manipulation of Cespedes meeting his incentives, which has been a theory tossed out because the incentives originally were based on at-bats, and over a full season, it would have been harder for Cespedes to reach those incentives. But over a 60-game season, as the team's primary DH, the you know meeting of those incentives all being prorated... He could have met those a little bit easier, so that's what some people are throwing around. Personally, I haven't been able to get myself caught up in this story. Have it hasn't got my blood boiling. It might be a me problem, okay? But it's nothing against Cespedes as a player. It's not me signing with siding with the ownership or with Brody or any of it. It is so much he said, she said. And I understand we don't trust the one side of management and Brody Van And There's Mets fans who are just straight saying he's lying and they're covering something up. But I don't know. It's not that I don't believe that. There probably was something nefarious going on. Yet, with everything else going on, with the COVID stories that we're looking at, with the Cardinals in the middle of a shutdown, with the Marlins scrapping together 16 players to fill a roster and so many other things going on in baseball and just the world in general, I just haven't been able to find myself, you know, invested in this Cespedes story. In my opinion, Cespedes left due to coronavirus concerns. He saw what was going on in baseball and he decided, based on him and his family, that it wasn't worth playing baseball this season anymore. And I support his decision 100%. I can completely understand anyone calling Sunday's fiasco a disaster, a PR nightmare. Saying he went AWOL when he didn't, whatever ended up happening there shouldn't have, okay? But it's just so typical Mets that it almost rolls off my back at this point. And I just want to focus on other things and focus on this team while we have them watch what they're doing on the field and talk about that as opposed to reading tea leaves and digging my heels and going through the comment section and finding every single quote and you know putting up on a big board and trying to piece together some story about what happened here and all the reasons why Brody Van Wagenen is a liar and should be fired I get people who want to go down that route but personally It's just not something that's got my blood boiling. It's not something I'm invested in. I would rather just say goodbye to Cespedes, move on, and not harp on it. But that's just me. So if you feel differently, that's your prerogative. Anyway, that'll be all for today's edition of Locked On Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you want to get some more great baseball content, check out the Locked On Fantasy Baseball Podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. All you have to do to get the show, tell your smart device to play podcast locked on fantasy baseball.